the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> yeah, and this podcast is a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan, being me, and the man himself, being Adam Terrell. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. How you doing, Adam? Uh, I shouldn't have uh, played football. Uh, you know, I, I always play football uh, at the wrong times and just finish playing four hours of football. Uh, I'm a bit knackered, so I'll try. I'll try. You, we, we always talk like, you know, maybe I shouldn't play because I remember we've, I played football once for like six hours just before we did it. And my foot was cramping up the whole time that I was trying to speak to you on a podcast a, a while back. And uh, <laughs> I was trying to sort of stretch and not make noises and, and like, ah, but uh uh, we managed to get through it, and, and at least uh, my foot's not in so much pain this time, but my voice is a bit tired, I think. You always play for such a long period of time. Like, it's not just one game, is it? You must have to do like a league or something. Yeah, I play with, with a bunch of people, and yeah, there are other people that come in and out, so they don't stay the whole four hours or six hours, but I always uh, stay from the beginning of the end and run nonstop. Uh, I, I've, it's my way of releasing steam and uh, also my, my way of staying away from uh, a house with a crying baby. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it. Fatherhood, like it's fifty percent avoidance, isn't it? Mostly Just trying to get out yes. of the house. Yes, and unfortunately, you know, uh, during all this uh, COVID, and especially me, we working at home, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's not as easy as somebody going to the office and, and having their their escape there. But uh, so I end up playing football for six hours and then cramping up when we try to speak. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Well. We've got a special episode again this month, which I kind of love because this kind of uh, crept up on me. I saw the other day you tweeted, oh, it's been 15 years to the day since our first ever Third Window Films release. And I was like, holy shit. So I messaged you and was like, happy birthday, man. Um, yeah, so I thought, why don't we do an episode celebrating 15 years of Third Window Films? Kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's good timing because there wasn't a release this month otherwise, and uh, I think we were trying to think think of what to talk about, and and it just sort of occurred to me, oh, well, it's been fifteen years, and I, I better write something online and do a competition, and uh, yeah, it's a good good thing to to look back on. That's so cool. I mean, I thought so. I've got an interesting kind of way we can lead into it because um, I don't know if you know, but like normally the way that I kind of watch my films is I, I come up with a kind of theme for the month whether it's like a director's work or a certain genre or you know a writer or an actor or something like that and this month it was a bit more kind of organic and uh, it just kind of kept changing as I was going along so what happened was I started off I read a book by uh, Ryu Murakami called Coin Locker Babies and I don't know if you've read that book but uh, it's fantastic and I mean, I've read all this other stuff, you know, like Audition and Piercing and In the Miso Soup and popular hits of the Shower era and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, this book was just incredible. And it got me thinking, I was like, I need to go back and see all the films that have been ad adapted from his books. So that led me to a film that he directed himself called Tokyo Decadence, which is his, yeah, his kind of um, adaptation of his short story collection that he wrote. And it was just awesome. So I was like, right, I'm sticking on this trip. So I looked down who else had made a, a film based on his books. And uh, Hideaki Anno 
had done one called Love and Pop. Um, yeah, great film, great film, that. Amazing film. I was absolutely blown away by it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to continue down this road again. And I found um, there's one called Karaoke Terror uh, by a guy called Tetsuo Shinohara. Um, and that's got um, uh, uh, Ryue. Um, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> you pronounce it so much better than me. Um, and again, that was that was just so much fun. It's like this crazy genre film about uh, a bunch of young punks fighting a bunch of kind of middle-aged women, um, all of them into karaoke, which is just amazing. And then obviously I, I revisited the, the big hitters like Piercing and Takashi Miike's Audition. Anyway, after I was done with all that, I was like, Hideaki Anno's Love and Pop really affected me. And I saw that there was one more film of his, one more live action film that I hadn't seen before. It's called Ritual. Um, and um, I thought, well, you know, we've got Shin Kamen Rider coming up. I need to check out this film. And as I was watching it, I was like, that's Shunji Iwai. Like, Shunji Iwai stars in this film. And he was just awesome. Um, and I've seen a bunch of his films, like the Hannah and Alice ones, you know, and uh, what's the other one there? Is it Swallowtail Butterfly? But um, I hadn't seen his most famous film, which is all about Lily Choo Choo. And everyone always tells me how important and brilliant that film was. Um, so I, I watched that and I was just absolutely floored by it, like completely blown away. Um, just how like, like crushingly beautiful it was, just like filmmaking at its highest level. Anyway, <laughs> so long story short, after that, I was like, man, the, the last time a film... Uh, that crushingly kind of bleak but brilliant that hit me was um, Tetsuya Nakashima's Confessions, which is one of yours. So I, I sat down and rewatched that. And I was like, fuck me, that's just, just as amazing as I remember it being. Um, <laughs> and as soon as I was done with that, I realized that Third Window Films had actually released another epic kind of teacher getting revenge film into Kashi Miike's uh, Lesson of Evil. So I moved over to that one as well. And I just, I fucking love that film so much as well. It's just so fun and so crazy and just dark as shit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and both films, is... actually, they, they never really got out there as much as they should have. Because um, obviously, I think uh, in America, which is obviously the biggest uh, uh, place in the world for, for a film being able to get out there is uh, because of obviously the population and the language is, uh, you know, they're not really f fond of... Uh, teachers and, and killing their, their students i mean it's a, or, or you know any sure. students being killed obviously it's a bit too realistic for them i guess uh and um and in japan obviously it's a bit more uh, uh it's a bit more i don't know okay but it's it's more fantasy because it's they don't have such things over here and uh and yes uh neither of those films was ever released in america i mean uh so it, it it's it's strange because they are such a and especially confessions is such a fantastic film i mean lesson of evil is is uh is is fun for sure but um yeah it's so I'm, dark I'm though i mean the, the 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 final kind of 30 minutes where he's just stalking the halls of that shotgun just putting holes in students it's insane absolutely mental and funny um, it's it's, it's and a, really it's, funny it's, it's a comedy really. yeah <laughs> but yeah so basically yeah and then I've, I've actually continued down the mike rabbit hole now so i'm ticking off some of the stuff that i've not seen over the years like fudo the new generation and oh Fourth. i love that film so good uh, it was fantastic uh full metal yakuza um i've just done the the young thugs films so um oh. innocent blood and nostalgia 
anyway, look, long story short, basically what this proves is that all roads lead back to third window films. <laughs> all roads lead back to Takashi Miike. Oh yeah, at the very least Takashi Miike. <laughs> but yeah, it's just been it's just been really fun. And like I said, normally what I'd say is like I'm just going to watch a whole month of Kinji Fukusaku films or something like that. But no, this time I've kind of been each time discovering new ones as I go, and it was it was just a blast. Yes, uh, um, I wish I could have put out more, more Mike, uh, because, you know, films like Fudo and all that, I love them myself, but I guess, uh, you know, they're always being handled by the bigger companies. And um, yeah, L- Lesson of Evil, for love's sake, were the only ones that I could, and I I, I overpaid for them. And uh, for love's sake, well, only became popular when it, when, it, when it went out of print. And uh, but Lesson of Evil, yeah, it's, it's done all right. And um, I'm sure it, 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 there's still a large audience of people that haven't seen it, so I hope they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for love's sake, is such a random one in his filmography, isn't it? Well, you say that, but all his films are pretty random. And his, if I mean, you know, he makes so many films, and there are, you know, these these strange things that stick out. And I wonder if they are really that random, uh, because everything is seems to be random. I mean, obviously, you know, back in the days, it was a little more V cinema type uh, stuff, but but like it's a sort of seventies, uh, uh, you know, gangs is is very much uh, something that that Mike would have would have made him. Mean, it's a remake obviously of, of an older older I think it's T V show I believe um back in the seventies. But uh yeah it, it fits perfectly in his, his catalogue and it's also a bit too long like like many of his <laughs> other films that, that weren't V cinema. I think all the V cinema films are all quite and, and concise and uh a lot of stuff recently has been like it's all over that over that two hour long mark and you don't really need that for especially a film like for love's sake. I mean like a sort of music West Side story type uh yeah. you know gang school gang musical doesn't really need to be like two hours and 10 minutes or something like it is <laughs> uh, um, but yeah you know i guess he nobody tells him otherwise uh why why should they you know he's very talented have you um dealt with him yourself in releasing his films no 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 i mean he's, I've, I've only met him once or twice and that was in, in Cannes or something like that uh you know he's a uh, obviously a, a big big name but key you know uh yeah. Shibukawa Kihiko, he's always in his films um, and he's in his film that he's shooting right now so uh, I always talk to Ki about them uh, and I, you know, I love it. Ki is, is it's another situation with like somebody like Ishizogo you know, he makes all these massive films with these big stars but like somebody like Ki ends up getting like a massive amount of screen time but never on the posters and uh, <laughs> I think Yakuza Apocalypse was like an example of that where like I think Ki is in the film more than anybody else and yet his name his name isn't even written on the uh, on the poster. But but maybe from now on he started to to appear in television, and maybe he will start uh, getting a little more name recognition. Nice. Well, yeah. Hopefully. What's that new film he's doing now? Do you know? I don't know. I I know it's it's or either just finished shooting or 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 about to be finished shooting. So there's no nothing else uh, I know. But uh, yeah, that, that's it. Fair enough. Well, yeah, because I saw that uh, Mole Song, the new Mole Song, has just come out in Japan, hasn't it? I think it came out a while back, actually, uh, like a year or two ago, I believe. No, or, no, no, no. So he's done three. It's, there's three of them now. There's a trilogy. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't even think I saw the first one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I did and I got... But, but I, I don't really... I think Mike nowadays is a bit uh, hit and miss. And even things like um, First Love, I wasn't really that big of a fan of, to be honest. Um, oh, man. Maybe because... Yeah, I know a lot of, a lot of people really liked it, but I think... Uh, I, I just really love the old classic uh, Mikkei films and they were a lot shorter and sillier. And I think nowadays it's a bit, you know, once you've seen him do all these things a million times over, you know, I think 
you do sort of get a bit maybe bored um to be one and also uh yeah they, they are a bit long and uh and uh, <laughs> star a lot of people that i don't really care for like a lot of idols and all that and big names uh you know i just want my aikawa show and takuichi riki I think because I don't have my finger on the pulse really with all the idols and stuff like that. To me, they're just newcomers, you know? I don't really know them. Um, I, th- I loved First Love. I really loved Blade of the Immortal. I thought that was a fantastic adaptation. Ah, oh, God, I, I didn't. I can't even remember. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 mean I, I liked, obviously, you know, 13 Assassins and all that, um, but I haven't really liked that many of that he's done over the last few years, to be honest. Uh I think maybe 13 Assassins or, or Harakiri was probably the last ones that I did like. And other than that, that's yeah. like 12 or 13 years ago now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, he, he doesn't, his films, even like somebody like maybe Ishisogo as well, like it doesn't really, I don't, not so excited to see their new films as I used to be, obviously. And um, and maybe that's probably because they're making more uh, studio films or maybe just because I've I've got bored of, of what they're, they're doing. Um, I guess, uh, yeah. Maybe people that that are, uh, but uh, again, he's he's reaching you know larger audiences with films like For Love because they're international co-productions and they go into the big film festivals. So I'm sure the people that are seeing those films for the and seeing and learning about him for the first time and for somebody like them, them, you know, it's it's a wow, it's so crazy and Japan is all crazy and this and this. But for me, it's it's a bit uh, personally, I just find it a bit a bit you know over overdone. <laughs> well this isn't the takashi Miike podcast sadly it's not uh but yes <laughs> so let's let's talk about third window films so I, d- I did a bit of research going into this i'm not gonna lie i've been very busy so um i've not done a lot but i i found out so it's on the 21st of may 2007 you released five films I no, I don't think so. I released five films. I think I've released two or three films on the 21st of may and then in june the 4th i released two or three so i at least released five over two weeks oh okay they're all listed as may in on the website i believe uh, yeah but i don't know i think i've already made a mistake um <laughs> okay, I, I don't i just yeah i i think it was um like green i so you green, got, I you, got you got rio sun wan's no blood no tears and lee chang dong's green fish were the first two i think y- yes they were the first two but uh, you know i just looked at the website myself and like Greenfish was written as June the fourth, and um, uh, Say Yes was written as May the the twenty seventh. Um, but obviously, I updated the website myself, so but that was a long time ago. Anyway, we, uh, over across those two dates, um, yes, I released those, those 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 five films. So you also did Kim Yoo Jin's Wild Card and Jang Jin's Guns and Talks. Yes, and Say Yes. Uh, so that yeah, those five. Yeah. And again, so I just found that really interesting. For starters, like they're all South Korean, they're all kind of crime thrillers, and it's just very far removed from kind of what you're doing now, which is Japanese, you know, dramas essentially. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, obviously myself, I was really into Korean cinema. Obviously, uh, uh, not obviously, but um, from from the late nineties. you know, with films like, like Green Fish and then, you know, the bigger ones like Shitty and, and uh, Brotherhood and all those, uh, but also things like uh, um, My Wife is a Gangster. And um, I love the, the sort of comedy action mashup, mashup films. I mean, like, uh, yes, like, um, and, and also comedies like My Sassy Girl. and all. I love those films. And I was really, really into South Korean cinema and I was into um, Korean culture and I would go to Korea a lot. And I just thought that... um. It would be, I don't want to say easier, but I think 
if you were going to start a, a film distribution label, you wouldn't really want to start with like really minor sort of Japanese comedies or something because it's a, it's a bit of a, of a risk. <laughs> and, you know, South Korean cinema it was obviously had, had a very big boom, not just in England, but around the world, you know, through companies like Tartan Films and, and uh, uh, Optimum and Metrodome and all those other companies that were really pushing them out there. And if you also think of it like uh, ras- rationally, I guess, um, or lo- logistically, that, um, you know, an audience who aren't into sort of Asian cinema, who s- would be easier to, to watch like an action film or, or a, a, a genre film and a good looking one in the way that a lot of Korean cinema was. So I thought, you know, they would be a lot easier to get the ball rolling in distribution. So I picked up, uh, I did a deal with, with CJ Entertainment for about uh, 10 films or something like that. Uh, and that was obviously in about 2005, six, and then it took a while to get them all released. So from the, from the time I acquired them and started the company till the time that I actually got them to release it took about two years. And then yes, in May uh, it was, there was those ones, but, but I, I love those films. I mean, they're all quite fun and entertaining and, uh, and they all bombed uh, uh, massively. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, was it was it a successful launch for your your company? No. <laughs> no, no, it was awful. I mean, you know, also the thing is, is you you assume that that uh, those films would be easier to sell, but obviously, thing, things that is anything that's easy is obviously the the other parties know that there's a market for them, and therefore they're not cheap to buy. Especially if you're a first time distributor and you are going up to major companies to try to acquire rights. They don't know who you are. They don't know mm-hmm. if you're going to be able to su- successfully distribute their films and make money from them. So they charge you a lot more than they would a charge. They would charge like a people that they're, they're used to working with. And I think any new distributor always has to take that hit of paying more up front because you are nobody. I mean, uh, you know, what they, these people will only sell to you if you pay them, uh, you know, a large amount or else you know they they don't think that their film's going to be successfully released and they don't think they're going to get enough royalties from you so um you know it was it did cost a lot to acquire them and also at the same time I didn't know much uh or I don't do anywhere near the amount of things that I do nowadays in terms of doing as many things as I can in for release so I had to hire a press team and I had to um obviously hire designers to to make all the artwork and then hire you know, all these different people to make subtitles and all this sort of stuff that, that mm-hmm. costs a lot of money. So the outlays were quite expensive. And and on top of that, yes, they, they weren't very popular titles. Um, But, uh, you know, even if they had been sort of popular, it would have been very hard to recoup and make any money off them. Did that not put you off and go like, right, what the hell am I doing? Maybe I should step away from this. Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, I was I was very young and energetic, and uh, I would argue a lot with, with everybody. And I just, yeah, especially you know, um, you know, I just learned I just have to do things more myself because in that time, obviously, I'm with uh, Arrow now as a company who handles getting my my products into uh, places like Amazon and all that. But at the time, you know, there it was like actual retailers in the streets, like uh, like HMV and all that, and you needed a third party to help get your stock into them and in that time it was metrodome and i just thought you know this company metrodome they don't care whether my titles do well or not because the risk is not onto them so i i had to learn how to do everything myself and it just i just thought well you know you learn and you you try to do some of the other things and uh 
And that's why I think I changed a little with the releases, including for something like uh, a title like Teenage Hooker Became a Killing Machine, which I thought would me it was a very cheap title to acquire. It's obviously cheaply made. And, uh, you know, changing the, the look of the poster as well and the look of the, the, the way that it was marketed would be in a much easier sell. And that was one of the biggest sellers of, of any of the first uh, films that I'd released. Yes, by, by, by uh, a mile as well. I've not seen that one yet because it's out of print now and I, I don't know where to get it. So, yeah, it's a quite a controversial film, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's controversial. It's also very, very, very low budget. And uh, I think it's proper love, love it or hate it film. I don't think there's, there's much, much in between. Uh, it's experimental. It's, it's quite short as well. Uh, it's just barely makes, it's barely about 60 minutes long. And they have like a, the credit sequence is really long to drag it out to a sort of feature length. <laughs> but it's not, it's not so great of a film, uh, um, uh, to be honest. Uh, you know, it's very, yeah, low budget and experimental. So, but at the same time, you know, with a title like that and a poster like that, it helps, you know, kickstart things that allowed me to take on bigger titles and, and sort of think about distribution a little more. Nice. Well, so after that, those first five, you did um, Johnny Toe's PTU um, yeah. in July 2007. Was that part of the CJ Entertainment deal or was that something different? Because obviously that's no, from I Hong mean, Kong. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been obviously, you know, just being an Asian film fan in general, it was like it was Hong Kong in the eighties and nineties, and you know, South Korea in in the nineties and, and the the, the noughties, I guess you say, <laughs> and um, <laughs> obviously Japan here and there, obviously, but um, you know, I think Hong Kong cinema was a big love of mine, and and, and Johnny To obviously was was one of the masters, uh, who is still one of one of the masters, of course, and uh, that was a film that I was desperate to to acquire and um and actually joey lung acquired it on my behalf um joey lung from terracotta distribution we were we've been good friends since the very very beginning and he was in Cannes, and we were just calling back and forth and he actually i think negotiated the deal or with me in england and making calling him and uh and that's one one that i, I was able to get and put in cinemas as well as my first uh cinema release of of um of third window films and uh it did it, it did not not so great either to be honest but uh it, i think i managed to sell it to television if i remember correctly and that was uh also another big step because uh that's where all, any money uh comes from right okay because obviously that's with eureka now isn't it eureka did their own blu-ray release yeah. Yes, the rights lapsed, obviously. I mean, because it was bought, uh, you know, back back then. I mean, uh, I probably bought it in 2006 or something like that, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, these licenses usually only have about seven, eight years. So Eureka have uh, have put it on to, to Blu-ray. And, uh, but I, I think, if I remember correctly, um, you know, the first few releases, like, the quality wasn't that great. And PTU, I, I, I really put a little more... Or I was a, I found somebody else to handle the the authoring, and it, we we put it out in a better, quite a decent quality looking looking release. So um, it's it's uh yeah nice nice. So even the DVD is quite quite decent, but I'm sure yeah the Blu-ray nowadays is is much better. <laughs> yeah, I should say like that's kind of the story of your life, isn't it? You're always a bit ahead of your time. Like well, Johnny. Johnny Toe is is uh was big everywhere, and you know, I mean, I I can't say that I've you know done much to help uh, help people find out about Johnny Toe. I mean, he's uh, a very was a very big director then, and a lot of people knew about him then. And uh, maybe you know, I was just trying to I got on a bandwagon in essence uh, 
to to pick up a big title like that. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was I was ahead of my time with with Johnny To. Maybe some of the the obscure Japanese films, but not not Johnny To. Well, I'd say Lee Chang Dong was the, definitely you. Uh, you were oh, that, that for sure. <laughs> that that was uh, yeah, that was way behind uh, ahead of the time, and uh, and only after obviously films like Secret Sunshine and Burning when people got really interested in uh, his his earlier works and the rights had lapsed because uh, nobody wanted to buy them at the time and uh, yeah if i ha- if i still had the rights then obviously uh, they be, be would finally make money from them because they never made money <laughs> when they when they were available i just want a big li changdong box set like what you did with toyota or uh... Yeah, Obayashi. Well, yeah, but I, I, Toyota is, is is you can't really compare him to to an Academy Award winner like <laughs> like Lee Chang Dong. I mean, you know, and also you know the Koreans as a whole, uh, you know, in terms of they're they're very smart. I'm not, not I'm not gonna say Japanese are not smart, but in terms of um, really promoting their culture and and promoting their films and music and everything to the world, uh, they are as a as a get a lot of government support and a lot of the people that work for these companies and own these companies that, that make films and, and music are looking at the international world. So they really know what they're doing. And uh, in the Japanese side, there's so many people that don't know what they're doing. And in that case, I can come in and help uh, make their, their films popular worldwide. But, uh, you know, the Koreans are really, really, um, really ahead of the game uh, in Asia. So, um, you know, if it wasn't for me, somebody would have and then obviously Lee Chang Dong has done it himself and, and <laughs> beat the can and won an Academy Award. So he, he, know, he knows where it's at. <laughs> well, the people around him know where it's at. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Well, it wasn't until I think it was January 2009 you released um, Tetsuya Nakashima's Memories of Matsuko. Um, and then in February 2010, you did Nakashima's Kamikaze Girls as well. And so that was the big change then. Those were your first Japanese releases, I think. Yes, and the thing about those is actually I put all my um, eggs in the basket of Memories of Matsuko because uh, Memories of Matsuko is one of my favorite films of all time. And I thought that film, more than Kamikaze Girls, would be a film that would really, really be a hit because Mm. it was such a great film. And with critics, it was. But... And I put that film, Memories of Matsuko, in cinemas as well. And Kamikaze Girls was sort of like a side... Like, all right, after you've watched Marisa Matsuko, watch Kamikaze Girls. But conversely, Kamikaze Girls was the film that really, really did well for me. And Marisa Matsuko actually didn't recoup, didn't make its money back at all, even to this day. But Kamikaze Girls really, and thanks to people like Jonathan Ross, who um, put it on his, uh, he had a TV show like about Japan back in the days. And uh, I think that film was really the film that helped Third Window Films uh, go to a next level. And also for for um you know getting that sort of quirky japanese cinema out there uh um but i really you know sort of lucked i don't want to say lucked out because i picked picked both of them up but i i was really pushing matsuko more than i was kamikaze girls as i really thought that was the film that would do well uh, and it yeah it didn't but um luckily i, I had kamikaze as well and, and nakashima tetsuro is really a director that has i think all of his films have helped me or get to an, another level um of course, I've been the first person to release all of them uh, in in the West, but you know, all of his films because they're so different have reached uh, so many different new audiences. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so when Confessions came out, did you have to scramble to get that one, or was that kind of it was already going to be yours because you'd done so well with the first two? I think also I was very ahead of 
a bit ahead of time in, in that film because I saw a very early, um, uh, I was able to see quite early in its life, like before it came out in Japan and before it played at any film festivals. And I immediately bought, bought it. Uh, and I, it was very expensive release because it was with Toho, who are the biggest um, company out there. But I thought this film will will be a success. And it was a success. Um, you know, that one I put in cinemas and it played about 50 film fest, 50 cinemas in the UK. Mm. And uh, like places like the ICA, it was like sold out for just weeks and it was just extended and extended. And, you know, it was played on film four and it was a really, really popular release. And as it should be, because it's uh, a fantastic film that ticks so many boxes. Uh, and, it, you know, it's really, yeah, fantastic film. Um, it was a Japanese you know, entry to the Oscars in 2010, wasn't it? It, well, it, it was a Japanese entry to the Oscar, but it wasn't an Oscar-nominated film. I mean, uh, you know, it's like being, uh, you know, s- s- second place in an FA Cup final. Like, nobody remembers <laughs> that. Like, or, or the runners-up in the FA Cup final. Nobody remembers that, like, years ago. It's only the winners they remember. And, sure. you know, yes, Japan put it forth as their selection for the Oscars, but it wasn't selected for the Oscars. So, uh, you know, people forget you know it's it's hard to market that it's uh, and but i did obviously put it as in all the marketing and uh i had a a really nice uh, designer who i've always worked with who made a very nice uh, striking image for it which was end up used being used for all the other releases of the film uh worldwide and uh you know i, I is that her, I think... her face with the reflection in her eyeball Yes, yes. Uh, there were loads of great designs he mocked up for me as well, but that that was the one we, that I I I stuck with. And uh, yeah, it's such a striking um, because the Japanese poster is not that far off. It's just her face with a close up. But I think the uh, the the use of the 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 tones and the contrast and the uh, the only half of her face uh, really really uh, had a striking uh, look to it. And um, yeah, I you know I love that film, and uh, I tried to relicense it recently, and um, yeah, just Toho or a pain to work with. So um, I mean, if any of if I were to to like make a 4K release or something, which I've, I've I'm trying to put off uh, until I, uh, until I die or something, but if if I were to to want to do or to be able to do that, um, that would be the film that I would love to launch it with because I, I think it looks would look amazing um, in the best quality possible. Yeah, it's an incredible looking film, even as it is. But um, yeah, 4K would be mind blowing. Um, it's a bit controversial now, considering the climate and what's going on in Japan. But another one of the kind of really big releases you did early on was uh, Shion Sono's Love Exposure. Um, and that, I mean, that's by far his most popular film. And it must have been one of your best sellers, right, over the years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it still still does well today, and um, that was another one that I was able to to get actually the very. I think uh, I saw it before it played at Berlin, and but I waited a bit because I was a bit nervous about uh, taking on a four hour long film. But when I picked it up, uh, I was think I think the first person to release it outside of Japan, and uh, even I, I played it in in the cinemas on film, and I put my back out carrying that bloody film to the ICA, <laughs> you know, because I try to save money, always trying to save money on uh, on everything. So instead of hiring a courier to bring it to the cinema, it's like, no, I just, all right, I'll carry it and, and bring it to the cinema. But it's, it's it was, you know, uh, 
for a four hour long film on 35 millimeter it's like like, like <laughs> 10 10 reels or something like that and uh and oh, yeah. also you know i'm very impatient so it's not like i'm gonna carry half of it and then like drop it and then go back to the car and and carry the other half uh, and also i think it was on it was the ica is on the mall so you can't really stop um so it's like get out of the taxi or and uh all right put it on the ground there and then try to carry uh it to the cinema and yes put my back out but um uh it, it, it did well uh, um, at the ICA and, uh, you know, sold the television. And uh, obviously it was first I just put it out on DVD. And then when I when I moved to Blu-ray, it was one of the films that I, I re-released on Blu-ray. And um, because obviously, you know, the DVD was split onto two discs, uh, uh, the feature. And, you know, you oh, wanted... was it? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, it has to be because DVDs you can't really put four hours on. So it was split onto two. If I remember, it's two disc DVD. So, um. I'm sure that somebody will have to tell me, but uh, um, I bel- I know that there's two discs, so I'm sure I'm sure that it was split onto to two discs and therefore not didn't have that many extras. Uh, but yeah, it's it's always a, a constant seller. And yes, of course, Shion Sono has a situation nowadays, which um, you know, he's 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 countersuing um this week uh the the magazine that that printed the article, and uh, you know, it's uh, I've always said that I think Shion Sono is is uh. Is 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 a, a bit of a name value, and because of his films, he's being targeted. But I don't feel that uh, you know there. You know, I, I think people are that don't really know too much. That people sort of comparing him to Harvey Weinstein or something like that. But it's no, it's nowhere near near that. And um, I think there are, you know, I've I've said this before that um, you know, it, being a Japanese person in an industry of a certain age, you know, I think it's, looking at it at it from from the today's mindset of political correctness um you know i think he's a bit uh i th- i think i don't think uh he's he's really uh, as bad as people are, are are some sort of making him out to be but um yeah. at the same time i'm sure uh you know within his time in japan in certain generations where 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 you know sexual harassment is is quite commonplace um that that i'm sure he he might have some some sort of sexual harassment in the past i think any any japanese man of that age has but uh i really think that um that he's nowhere i for sure believe that he's nowhere near any of these weinstein sort of issues but but the people around him are very bad and uh they are quite uh there are a lot of sexual predators around him and in the industry as a whole uh but but anyway, that's a, a yes, a, a separate separate. Yeah, no, I just remember it was a flurry of news for about two weeks, and then I haven't really heard anything since. It's gone quiet. So yeah, it's interesting. Well, it will that. be news. I mean, you know, news. You know, there there are all these other terrible people around him that have had stories written about them, but it doesn't become news if they're not if they're not popular. You know, it only becomes big news within the domestic and international scene if it's somebody that people know of. So, so all the other people, like, uh, like uh, even Sakaki Hideo Sakaki, who's been big news in Japan, it's not being news overseas because nobody knows who he is overseas. So, you know, Shion Sono is quite a name that uh, news will happen, whether it's uh, you know true news or not. But, but uh, you know, there is a we'll, 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 that's a, a whole different uh, subject. <laughs> this is a yes, I guess an anniversary episode. So. <laughs> well, I- <laughs> Just just quickly before we move on, is there any other developments about Suicide Club, or is that still just not not going forward? Well, the the problem is just that that all the people that were supposed to be working on it, as in making audio commentaries, I had so many 
to make very very nice uh, illustrated artwork um uh everybody has has stopped they won't they won't work on the project mm-hmm. so i'm trying to find other people but they also don't want to work on the project as well um you know so the problem is is that i initially had expected it to do a certain amount of sales because of all these extra features and, and all this artwork as well as being able to sell it to like a a, a well-known video on demand company that, that i'd spoken to and with this happened that all that's gone but the japanese side won't reduce the price and sure. therefore it's a lot of money to spend you know so i'm I'm sort of gonna wait a bit and see uh because you know sono is countersuing right now and maybe it, it might change the the, the the scenery but um yeah uh we'll, we'll we'll see okay fair enough um well look we've you've done like what is it, 126 films i think you've released I, I tried to count them up when I made was making this artwork um, for for the 15th anniversary, and uh, I think it's 122 films. I might be one or two off because there's there's some or may have not counted a short film or may have counted over counted a short film from like the new directors of Japan because there's, there's lots of um uh, there are yes. lots of yeah there's releases it's like five or six and one disc there isn't exactly there, exactly I mean the, the the Toyota set is obviously six films in in one set and three films in another and. Uh, Yobayashi set is one, and the the new directors of Japan also, and the pink films, obviously. So, uh, I may have made a mistake, but it's a, it's it's around that amount. <laughs> well, I was going to say is that you've got far too many for us to just go through one by one. So I no, guess I don't think anybody would like uh, to hear under twenty two. I guess we just maybe like go through some that have like special meaning. Like for example, do do you have a favorite release? Like one of the ones that you're you're most proud of. Obviously, uh, you know, 15 years or, or more, actually, because the company's been running for about 70 years. It's a long time and I've uh, had lots of things gone on in that time and I've had, uh, you know, family and all that. So I, I, I forget a lot and uh, I don't remember probably half half of them, to be honest. But, um, you know, so if I were to be talking about a, a favorite, it will probably come to like the most recent things that I can remember the best. And in that right. case, maybe something, you know, like Legend of the Stardust Brothers is something that I, I really, because of the fact that um, if I hadn't have released it, then it would have never, or I probably would have never, ever gotten out there. And for a film that is 35 years old, I mean, you know, if somebody doesn't handle it, then it could just, just disappear from existence. And I think because of the fact that I was so enthusiastic about that film and the people that are all involved with the film, actually, because they were so traumatized by its initial failure, they all sort of hated it. And my, I loved it so much that I managed to get everyone who was originally connected to, to love it again. Mm. And I, I feel so that I've, I've achieved something uh, to, to bring that film from, from its, its uh, death uh, or from under six feet under to a point not just that people around the world are talking about it, but also the people that are involved who were so traumatized by it were able to be to sort of find peace after 35 years and uh i think that's such a personal uh project because of not just it wasn't just a simple me distributing it but you know because of a film that nobody knew about i had to bring it to film festivals and i brought the director to film festivals and i also re-released um did events in japan uh for it as well like uh had a screaming at the, uh, the foreign correspondence club which is like a very very elite 
organization of journalists where people like <laughs> Obama, Obama, um, when he comes to Japan, talk at. And, uh, and I had like this, this ludicrous um, like, musical <laughs> from the 1980s, like have a film screening there. So, uh, you know, there were so many, there's so much work that I put into that. I'm putting it out on vinyl, obviously, and, uh, and uh, all the film festivals and then selling it to like places like Mubi played it uh you know almost worldwide in, in many different languages and now it's on amazon prime in america and more and more people are discovering it each day and i i think that just for 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 the work um i put into it i i feel so happy um in the end you know it's only sold like a thousand blu-rays uh so it's not really been that that profitable of of a film of a release but because i was able to to sell it uh to places like Mubi and uh, for distribution in Germany and America and all these other places, like people are seeing it. So um, whether or not that that uh, brings money to me, I think uh, you know I just feel so happy that um, you know that film has gotten out there. So maybe that that's probably uh, uh, one of my favorite releases. I mean, of course, you know, One Cut of the Dead was another one. You know, being able to discover and uh, make a film like that famous um, is 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 something that I put so much work into, but ever since it became so famous now, obviously you get forgotten and it's always like people coming up to me like, Hey, do you know this from one kind of the dead? And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I spent fucking years like, like uh, getting that film out there so that everyone knows about it. And then people are coming to me like, uh, yeah, you should, you should, if you're really cool, you know about this from like one kind of the dead. And it's like, oh, fuck off, you know, <laughs> wow. but you know that that's that's what happens uh you know and in the end one kind of the dead made made i got money from it so at least uh you know i could it wasn't just all the time i put in you know uh status brothers uh you know i i do feel that that if i hadn't have done it then it would be uh undiscovered and one kind of the dead i'm sure you know um because it's that sort of film that, that you never know it would have probably gotten out there maybe not mm -hmm. to the extent that it did but um it would have gotten out there in one way or another uh which which uh, you can't say the same for status brothers no i mean you can really see the love in the stardust brothers release like you said it's a beautiful set and you, you've got the soundtrack in there as like a bonus as well and like you see did the vinyl which is awesome yeah the vinyl didn't i mean that was i actually had it remastered for vinyl so the the sound on the vinyl is the best uh quality sound at all of that uh of that uh and the reason actually i made the vinyl is because in japan in japan there was originally uh a vinyl made for the film soundtrack. I mean, the film itself is based on a, um, on actually a, a, a soundtrack itself, a soundtrack for a movie that didn't exist. Um, so there is a sort of the original um, uh, soundtrack of the Stardust Brothers, the Chikada Haruo Stardust Brothers, is obviously readily available. But the soundtrack version of the film version, which has the the song sound by the people in the film, and which I preferred more, I always wanted that record. And mm. there were only like a hundred copies made for like promotion of the film back in 1985 and it's so i was looking every day on yahoo auction which is like the japanese ebay and i couldn't find it so it's like all right i'm gonna put it out on vinyl so that i can have a copy myself <laughs> so like and, which which i did and uh you know thanks to the you know stefan holy again in, in rapid eye movies which he knew a, a vinyl um manufacturer there that he's connected to and we could get it done sort of cheaply but it didn't there's still like loads of copies lying about it's uh i only made like 500 and there's still like like hundreds of them still around so it's not I mean, it's something such a, <laughs> it's such a niche audience for that though it's insane yeah but you know you, you say that but if you 
consider the fact that you know Mubi played that film on their their platform worldwide, and if you look at the letterbox, just the the people, the number of people that have seen it, it is not as niche as as me. Just of course, I've only sold one thousand Blu-rays, but it's it's been seen by a lot of people, and um, you know, yeah, but not many is, people have record players, so do they? And yeah, but most of the people that, that would watch a film like that, that like a film like that, do have record players nowadays. Actually, maybe not ten years ago, actually, but nowadays, mm. obviously, having a record player on records is a lot more is quite you know hip, or, or a lot of hipsters have that. But in the end, everybody always, you know, the reason one of also one of the reasons I really says everybody said you got to put this out on vinyl, like the <laughs> same way that like when you got to put posters out, like everyone, do you have a love exposure poster? Do you have a love exposure? Getting all these mails, and then I make them, and then nobody really buys them. <laughs> so like, do you have T-shirts for One Color of the Dead? Oh, okay, I'll make them. I made them, and there's still like loads of them lying around in my house. Like, like was, so you know, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I, I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it because like I know it's not going to sell. And then everybody mails me, you should make it, and then I make it, and nobody really buys it. So um. <laughs> it's, uh, I should I should do a Kickstarter every time I think, but it's it's a pain to do that. <laughs> I can help you with that. Yeah, okay. you can run it. I've I've had enough of it. I I did a bunch of crowdfunding uh, for loads of different releases, and it's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think as a fan, it's harder for me to kind of say what my favorite is. Like, I there's there's not many films you've released that I haven't loved. I was trying to think about this earlier. So you got all the obviously the Takeshi Kitano films, so everything from like Hannah B to Kikajiro to A Scene at the Sea, Kids Return, Dolls. They're all five star films to me. So, you know, I couldn't pick a favorite out of that. Or you've got Shinya Sukamoto's ones, so like Bullet Ballet, A Snake of June, Gemini, Tokyo Fist, Kotoko, Killing, Fires on the Plane, Tetsuo, Hinoko the Goblin. I, I don't know, I'd probably miss them out. Hayes, um, just incredible, incredible films, a lot of them. Or, um, yeah, yeah, even I forget them. I, I just, when we talk, I forgot I'd, I'd, uh, about the Sigmoto because those were also ones that I, I put in a lot of time to um, getting, you know, them remastered, uh, you know, especially all the earlier ones. And Kotoko as well, I think I was the only one in the world to release that film up until Arrow did it, you know, very, very recently. But um, yeah, uh, I think also. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's a lot of good good stuff in there, and maybe I prefer the sort of more minor minor films because yeah, it's, sure. uh, you know, of course Kitano's films are amazing, uh, and I love them myself. But I never feel so um like I've achieved so much by releasing like Kitano films because like everyone else has. Uh, so it's obviously for you as a fan, maybe or anybody, their their favorites are a lot uh, different than than mine because there's this personal connection uh, to them. I actually asked um, about an hour or two ago before we started recording. I said, "Has anyone got any questions for us? We're about to record our, you know, birthday bonanza episode." And one of the questions was, um, "I'd I'd be interested in the process of how you uh, got the Kitano releases." I kind of said, "Well, there is a story behind it, but I'm not sure if we're going to share it just yet." <laughs> I don't know if you'd like to share it or not. I mean, uh, we can talk about it now, or or, or uh, we are going to talk about it. Um... Uh, have have an episode about it. I'm sure within the next uh, month month or two. So uh... yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll sizzle it for that. But we'll just say there you that go. someone there you go. someone special is involved and uh, they're coming on the show. Um, but yeah, so I I think if I'm looking at favorites as well, I have to talk about Toshiaki Toyoda um, for a couple of reasons. One, because I think his films are just remarkable, and 
uh, you know, each new one that I watch, I just get deeper and deeper into it. But also, he's the reason that you and I are talking today. I mean, we literally started our talking conversation because you said that when I started tweeting about the the early years, uh, you finally sold sold out of them. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, yes, thank you very much because uh, <laughs> they, they, they were lying around, uh, and uh, as as ours is the new box set, to be honest. <laughs> well, I'll start <laughs> tweeting about it again soon. Please yeah, do. No, it, it just blew my mind, and it made me so happy that kind of like my love of discovering this this box set and this filmmaker then kind of spread a bit further. And it's great to see now that you are kind of synonymous with Toyota because you've released all of his films over here. Um, For the most so part, yes. So there's still a few that, that I haven't sure. released. But, but yeah, more than anybody else. Um. But I mean, so Porno Star, Nine Souls, Blue Spring, Hanging Garden. I love them all. And obviously like the, the short films, the later ones, like Go Seppuku Yourselves. And just amazing. Um, he has a new, least... a new short film, actually, that I'm going to go see next week. Uh, uh, I think it's being released every year, ever since um, uh, Wolf's Calling. Uh, no. Um, uh, Day of Destruction, he had made to open up the same day as the Olympics on July the 24th, uh, uh, 2020, when the Olympics was supposed to happen. It was his anti-Olympics film. And he, he released it on that date also because there was no films to be released on that date because everyone was, was supposed to be watching the Olympics. So he made a film with that date in mind. Yeah, and yeah, ever yeah. since then, every year he's released a new film on that date, July 24th um, in 2021. It was uh, uh, Go Seppuku Yourselves. And uh, 2022, obviously in two months' time, he's got another short film that uh, uh, about 20 minutes long that I'm going to go see next week. Uh, so I, I, I will report uh, on it um, and everyone will hopefully see it soon. Love it. Can't wait. Um, I do love the, sh- the smaller films you've done as well, though. Like, um, I mean, not necessarily small, small, but in, in comparison to those ones I've just been mentioning, uh, like Katsuhito Ishii's films, like The Taste of Tea and Funky Forest. They're both firm favourites that I just will love for the rest of my life. Um, you've got Aiji Uchida's films um, that actually you produced, you know, like Low Life Love and Love and Other Cults and um, obviously, his his first or, or earlier film, Grateful Dead. I just love all of those. Um, Satoshi Miki stuff, so Adrift in Tokyo, Instant Swamp, Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers. Uh, yeah, I love I love those films, and um, yeah, it's it's. I did try to relicense Adrift in Tokyo a few years ago, um, but you know that I'd wonder if if um, a lot of people ask like, why don't you put them out on Blu-ray? And to be honest, I don't really think they're really the type of films that would be really require Blu-ray because it's all about the comic. Uh, yeah. You don't really need a high definition for them, or in my opinion, you don't. And maybe it wouldn't be so popular either way. But um, yeah, really, I really love that and, and and making that box set of his. And I brought him to England um, actually to talk at the Hyper Japan event uh, many years ago. Him and his wife uh, Fuzieri, who uh, is in all of his films, um, and is his daughter actually. We we all they all came to England and and we had a, a film festival actually at in Coventry. Um, the uh, at Coventry University that I ran for a few years with the, their film club there. Um, first of all, we did it at the Warwick Arts Centre. There was a Third Window Films Film Festival actually. Uh, I only re- it, I forgot about it for years. And then like the other when Onoda was playing, I booked it into the Warwick Arts Theatre, which is in, in Coventry, and it it reminded me. Oh, I had this film festival there in um in like two thousand eight and two thousand nine over a few years, and mm. that film festival started at the Warwick Arts Centre and 
was part of Coventry University. And then they built a cinema on campus. And we had this film festival there. And it ended up being called the East, East Winds Film Festival. And um, Satoshi Miki also was, was there for that. And, uh, you know, I, he really loved Coventry Market. Um, oh. <laughs> I didn't go myself, but he was raving about it for, for like, for like weeks. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I always wanted to go afterwards because like, uh, he was going on about it so long. And, uh, but his films, I really, I, I, I love them. And uh, especially yeah, like, uh, yeah, Turtles is, is so cute and charming. And I, I used to always recommend that to like people that didn't really watch that many Japanese films, like just something just fun and, and, and quirky and uh, it's hard not to love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, easily, easily falling in love with them. Um, yeah, look, the list just goes on and on. I won't, I won't go on any further. I mean, like you said, One Cut of the Dead was a big game changer. I loved it. And then recently, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes has just blown my mind. It's one of those films that I, I've watched it more over the last couple of years than I think any other film. Just because it's I mean, short and it's just so ingenious <laughs> and you get something new every time. You know, like, like, like we, we talk about uh, a lot is, you know, when you have kids and you, you have a lot less time to, to watch things and, and 70 minutes really is really helpful. Yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> and I did, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I mean, it's, it's a shame, but I adore the Shion Solo film she brought over here. I mean, he's kind of known as a, a controversial director, um, but then some of the stuff, apart from like anti-porno and coldfish and stuff, you brought over the the stuff that he made with real heart. So you've got like Himitsu and The Whispering Star and Love and Peace and The Land of Hope. And these are his most beautiful, thoughtful, like just just wonderful films. Well, Love and um, Peace is, is a bit different, but uh, uh, Love well, and yeah, Peace you know, is... <laughs> you, know, you, know what, you know what I mean, though? It's not about um, tits it's not, and yeah, arse. Yeah, no, tits and arse and upskirt pants. But yeah. he always... You know, the thing about Sion Sono himself is he wants to do... I mean, he's always wanted to do lots of different films, but when he's, he, he became popular making those sort of, like, crazy films, those are the films that, that people gave him money to, to continue making. But, you know, Love and Peace and Whispering Star were actually films that he'd wanted to make for, like, like 30 years and and you know it wasn't until he became a big director that he was able to make a film like whispering star um a film because you know otherwise he nobody would have given him money to make it uh, mm. i mean that was a film that he 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 probably he did finance a lot himself and was done with his own production company but love and peace is an example as well as like him always wanting to make like a disney film and uh you know it wasn't until obviously he he had the the name value to to uh get money easily that he could make it um but he's he does have a uh quite a varied filmography but personally i think that uh i mean i i do love a lot of those films but um he makes a lot of films that i don't like uh at all to be honest um you know there have been some films that i've tried to acquire that that i couldn't because his name got so big that uh i was priced out out of them mm -hmm. but 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 otherwise like um you know there are a lot of films that i don't really like you know compared to somebody like tsukamoto shinya Mainly because Tsukamoto makes like a film every three years, and he puts like he's very puts uh, he's very. I don't want to say that Sono is not serious, but um, like Tsukamoto really puts a lot more heart uh, in. Not, I, I can't say that Sono doesn't, but but I think I he, you mean that more, yeah. more preparation, more thought. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Sono has so many ideas that, that he just wants to like do stuff. He's a bit childish. Um, just like all right, let's just do it, and I want to, and then we just go into the next one and go into the next one, and and he just wants to keep on getting all these ideas out. But Tsukamoto like really wants to make perfect he's he's a perfectionist and um sure 
and you see that in his films. I mean, they're very detailed. And, uh, and uh, you know, Tsukamoto, I love all of his films for the most part. I don't really like Bullet Man so much. But, uh, uh, yeah, Sion Sono is, is a bit hit, hit and miss. But uh, he has made, you know, some works of art like, uh, like Love Exposure. A hundred percent. All right, then. Well, I've just got a few questions like kind of fire off and see what you say. I'm, I'm sure some of them you'll be like, I'm not going to tell you, but we'll just see. <laughs> so... Can you remember which release cost you the most money to re- acquire it, the rights? That would be PTU. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Johnny Toe. Johnny Toe, when he was big, I mean, you know, like 2004, five, two, you know, he was a well-known director. And, and Hong Kong films were, were and are still always been very expensive to acquire because, you know, they're they're, they're first of all, I think, you know, because Hong Kong and the English connection was so strong that a lot of the... Uh, the market was was set internationally, and yet, and you, and so all of these companies are, are used to dealing with very very big companies that have more money to spend, and uh, therefore their their prices for the, the films are very expensive. But also, mm. you know, Johnny Toe was it was a big name, and um, yeah, it was uh, that was the most uh, expensive film to acquire, uh, probably by 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 a long shot, I'd say. I think maybe well, the next would be like Confessions or something. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Well, they. The, the answer to the next one is probably the same then. So which release lost you the most money overall? That would be Villain by, by a long shot. Really? Okay. Yeah, because Villain, I mean, that was expensive as well as the fact that, um, you know, the, the Toho are very hard to deal with in terms of like uh, certain rights and also materials and all that. And I really expected or because i maybe i'm used to watching japanese films a little more that it would be a guaranteed success um also the book was was translated to english and we released it uh well i mean the company that released it was we, we marketed it to go out at the same time as the cinema release but i think you know that that i i made a film print for it and that cost a lot of money and it ended up not being used and it's it's bloody still in i don't know I don't know if I threw it away or not, but it might just be like in, in my I had a garden shed and I think <laughs> it might be still there. So like, like, like unused, like, you know, it's not cheap to make. Uh, and you have to order those things directly from like Toho in Japan because they were very strict about those things. So a lot of money was put into it and it properly bombed uh, in cinemas. And like I initially was going to put it out on Blu-ray and like it bombed so bad that I was like, I was too scared to put it out on just DVD. And uh that was yeah. That I think that for sure was the biggest stub. I mean, it also was an unfortunate timing that it was around the time of the um the riots that that uh, Sony warehouses got burnt down and all that. So that delayed the release. It also caused a lot of uh, extra costs and um yeah, that was really a, 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 a awful. Uh, I, I try to put it out of my mind uh, how badly <laughs> <laughs> it bombed. Uh, yeah, that was it. Shit. Well, yeah, I didn't realize that. I've that's that's one I haven't watched yet. I've I've got the DVD up there. Might whack it on now. Have a look. It's a good film. It's just, it's just, um, it's very. I expect it's, you know, it's quite melodramatic as Japanese films tend to be, and uh, you know, I forget that 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 English people don't like melodrama. I mean, I don't particularly like melodrama myself, but um, I I think I was a little. It didn't seem so melodramatic to me because I was quite used to, to Japanese films. It's not super melodramatic, but it is more than you expect. And the critics in the in England really tore it to pieces. Uh, Right. And I I didn't expect that. And that was one of the, the reasons also why that it didn't do well because it was so critically panned. Well, I'll make up my own mind. I'll watch it later and let you know. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, I mean it's, it's great, great acting by by the by uh 
like Mitsushima Ikari and, and the cast. And it's it's a good film. It's just um it just didn't work. I was gonna ask you what what release made you the most money, but surely it's one cut of the dead, right? Yeah, probably because but then again that I was also uh, it's hard to compare money in this in that respect because um you know because i handled all the the international film festivals and also i handled uh, all the the sales for that film i made money from commission so it wasn't just uh just simple distribution and also because you know if i were to take a film that that was completely unknown and release it i had to put more a lot of money into to marketing it and getting it out there but because i'd handled all the film festivals and i handled all the international marketing i didn't have it didn't cost me anything in respect so i used all the film festival press that i'd made to to immediately sell the film on on blu-ray and therefore there were no really any costs so so in terms of like margins uh it was obviously uh very very good i mean confessions was obviously a big hit as well but then again it cost a lot of money to to release and, and um and promote so so in terms of yeah margins it would be one card of the dead by probably by a by a, by a mile <laughs> yeah that's what i thought um are there any films that you've most wanted to release but you weren't able to get hold of yeah probably <laughs> but uh, there there are there are always um many i think the most obviously is probably like um i mean there are obviously films that i've i've wanted to acquire but it's i just sort of I've it's been a, a simple like no uh, as in you know films like Crazy Family um you know mm. a lot of the Ishisogo films like the rights have been a pain or August in the Water or something but so it's just like all right done but films like uh the man the man who stole the sun was something that I put a lot of effort into trying to get released in terms of um meeting a lot with the, the film's director and also meeting a lot with the film's producer and really spending a lot of time to see what could be done mm-hmm. and that. That is that is a film that I think many people um, want to see, uh, and especially film lovers of of Japanese cinema. And yet, it's handled by Toho, who unfortunately handle a lot of the Art Theatre Guild films, which are like, um, you know, Crazy Family is is one, the Ishisogo film, these and and Teriyama Teriyama films as well, uh, like super independent films that for some reason, like this major studio, uh, for some reason, co-produced and therefore own the rights to and a lot of people think like oh they're these tiny films by these like tiny independent directors they should be released easily but because toho owned them it's very hard to get them out and um you know a lot of those films from that uh have always always been hard but the man who stole the sun was just the one that i put a lot of uh effort into trying to get out um uh there are also films that i've gotten very very close like ken and kazu was a film that i think a lot of people ask because there's even a catalog number and there's even <laughs> blu-rays that i made for it and and certified it at the bbfc and all that and did ever, a lot of it was almost about to be released and uh the release had to be stopped because of um some some pain in situation a uh, com- complex situation with the, the film committee system in japan so um that was one that, 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 that got i put a lot of money into getting out there and and, and it's it's uh yeah the all the, the the master tapes are still at Sony, you know, and even the artwork was printed up, so um, it cost a lot of money and, and didn't get released. Do you have discs produced with the film on them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, the the Blu-ray was mastered, the check discs were made, and the artwork was was all printed, so it was just it was done in essence, um, Jesus. and and had to be scrapped. Uh, yeah, it, it, and and since then that film was, and I always tell tell the Japanese. Uh, especially independent directors, producers, and film companies, you know, if they have a hot project and they think 
oh, you know, we've got this hot property now and uh, we're going to look for the big people to sell it to. And, um, you know, you may think that, but there are a lot of films in the world and there are a lot of distributors who want certain films. And your film, if you don't get it out there, handled by a distributor, it can it will be forgotten about in a few years. Mm. If people, you know, even if a film, it's not distributed, it's not pirated, you know, pirated films come from film, film, film films being distributed. Yeah. And, you know, if people don't even pirate a film, then a film will, will, will just die. It will become non-existent, uh, you know, like a Stardust Brothers, for example. But, you know, in this day and age, there are new films like Ken and Kazu, which was like a big, big popular film in Japan. It won Tokyo Film Festival. It ended up being like the independent, like the one cut of the dead of that year in Japan. And the director hasn't made a film since. And that was, we're talking um, uh, 2015, it was released. So, uh, so seven years ago. And the film is just forgotten now. And, uh, you know, nobody's released it anywhere. You know, it's, it's totally forgotten out, outside of Japan. And, and if it had been released by, by, by me, then the director would still have a name. And therefore, when he made a new film, which he's just done, uh, you know, he'd have an easier route to get it to film festivals because people might say, oh, I remember that film Ken and Kazu. But people don't think so into the future, unfortunately. And uh, it's always the problem that I have with Japanese companies. Like, you know, I'm even having a problem with, with Summertime Machine Blues now when, you know, the, the writer was saying that, like, you know, he had talked, he'd been speaking to people about remaking uh, the original idea in Hollywood. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, no, that film was never released anywhere because the, the, the Japanese companies were asking for silly money for it. So, you know, if a film isn't released by distributors, it just dies. So nobody's going to want to remake a film that no one's heard of, you know. And, and in that case, you know, you're not going to be able to, to sell the, the remake rights because nobody knows what Summertime Machine Blues is, uh, you know, except for people obviously in Japan. And, you know, you, you do have to think of the big picture. And a lot of Japanese companies don't think like, uh, you know, the, if they have a new director they want to get out there, make that director's name bigger and bigger, they have to make sure that the director's films are out there by distributors, whether or not they'll pay a lot of money for it or not. It needs to have a, it needs to continue to live, whether it be pirated, whether it be um, you know, in in, in video stores on video on demand or, or on Blu-ray or whatever. You know, it needs to be there needs to be uh like existence, proof of mm -hmm. existence. Uh <laughs> and and if you don't if people like distributors don't put it out then it's it's like it didn't exist and and it can hurt a lot in the future if if if, if for a director that maybe only makes a few films for example it's interesting actually this is probably a good place to move over then to some of the questions that we got on twitter um there's only a few but they're pretty good ones um and one of them is from um I'm, i apologize if i'm pronouncing this wrong but Niels Matij. Um, and he put a uh, tricky question, maybe, but how relevant does Adam think his job is today in the age of the Internet? On a tech level, production companies could easily distribute their films worldwide like streamers do. Is the job of distributors at stake like rental store owners those many years ago? I mean, you know, if you were to make a film and you can get it picked up by Netflix for worldwide distribution, which isn't that easy, to be honest, uh, then obviously, you know, uh, that, that can, that's perfect. and. Um, but there aren't many films that get picked up by Netflix worldwide. And otherwise, you could put it on like an, uh, a rental, like uh, just put it on your own website to rent. But then who's going to know of the film? You know, mm. the thing about distributors uh, in each country is that they have 
an audience. They have a way to market the film. You know, it's very important. Even for, for example, with a film like uh, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, that f- there are so many people in the world, and there's so many people in different countries. And ha- even a film like One Cut of the Dead, that's been so massively popular, there's still so many people that never heard of that film. And you need distributors to get that film to each market so that people learn about the film. And with Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, even though I brought it to so many film festivals, the U.S. distributor put a big marketing and press campaign behind it. And that opened the door to a lot more people that hadn't heard of the film yet. So, I mean, and Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, I played at 50 film festivals. So there are so many people in the world, obviously, and there are so many films and so many CDs and so many newspapers. There's so much of everything, so much content. And that's Mm -hmm. even more in the internet age because the internet age is so much bombardment of our screens and and people are obviously even more less willing to take chances on things and you need certain people whether it be curators at a film festival or distributors to point you in the right direction and um and and obviously in my case you know where it comes to physical distribution you know not anybody there are people that only want to buy blu-rays or dvds because of the packaging and because of the special features and because they want to collect and it's a lot different than a film that might be just be be on on, um on video on demand or available to rent somewhere uh, on the internet you know it's that that concept of having something that like i said um uh keep something alive you know in a a format Mm. that isn't just like a a bite on a computer you know um you know it's having that that thing it proves the existence you know even with for example with a film like ken and kazu you know if that had been released then people might still remember it and uh otherwise it's it's now essentially forgotten and and you know you can forget a thing a film when you see it uh by renting it but if you have that film in in your hands or if your friend has it or if it's in a shop somewhere it keeps it sort of uh yes alive in, in mm-hmm. essence and um you know i think uh, that's why distributors are, are uh, certain distributors are, are are needed to um you know companies like your your arrows or something that uh that keep the the physical media alive as well and keep people interested in in uh in in niche cinema because uh, there's there's so much going on otherwise have you noticed, this is a bit of a, a random aside, but I've noticed recently whenever Arrow release a special edition new disc, they have to recall it straight away after. They just keep having issues with their discs. And the, the, the most recent one is fucking insane, where it's a Henry portrait of a serial killer, where a scene from eight minutes in the film gets re-edited into the film again, like at the 50-minute mark or something like that. I mean, you know... When you become a bigger company, it usually means you have more people, like more staff, <laughs> yeah. and therefore yeah. you should have more people. I mean, I'm surprised actually that I haven't had any faults in my time because I, I could easily make a mistake um, in checking something. I mean, my films are only checked like my. I make like like Arrow do as well. You before you make a film that is uh, before you make a, a a release that it goes out to stores, you have check discs. That yeah, are, yeah, that yeah. Are, you send them to me. Yeah, I send them to you. And these yeah. discs are, are used to, to check to see if there's any errors on the disc. And in my case, it's just like one person that checks it. And, you know, that's only using one machine. Uh, but mm. in Arrow's case, I'm sure they have many people that check them and using many different machines just in case, because you never know if something plays on a, might not play on all Sonys or something like that. You know, you, there are these, these uh, glitches in that 
that something could, could work on a Panasonic, but not on a Sony or something like that. Um, and obviously, Arrow's films are a lot more scrutinized than, than mine because more people are watching them. And it's I'm so surprised because I, I, to see these things uh, on the internet, you know, like uh, people, I mean, you know, it's not the end of the world if, if, if there's a bloody scene in the wrong place. I mean, you're not going to die uh <laughs> if that happens uh you know if that happened to me i'd probably say oh i'm sorry i yeah, know even adrift in tokyo some of the people always always point out that the packaging is spelt wrong you know on the, on the <laughs> dvd release uh which it is but um you know it's not the end of the world and uh maybe you know if, if a disc looks very very bad uh then then it could uh take away from your enjoyment of watching it but in, in these cases it doesn't seem to be i think also because they've got they're such a big company they can't even if it's a small mistake they can't be be made to um to be letting down their customers uh, right. because it it makes more news if they make a mistake than if I were to make a mistake and i think people are more critical of especially they're more critical of Arrow now since they got taken over by this conglomerate and people are saying like you used to be this sort of like mom and pop company and now you're this big like conglomerate that treats us your your consumers like shit uh, it's is yeah. the sort of way that people think that any company that gets uh, taken up uh, by a big conglomerate uh, is thought of and they need to be extra careful well yeah they're getting a really bad rep now because it just keeps happening like i think it's happened to the last three or four releases in a row and people i don't know like, what, what the fuck are you doing over there <laughs> like I, I don't know how they how that how that can happen uh you know with the staff and, and the people that they have i mean uh it shouldn't be happening. Um, but I also just think that, yeah, people are being more critical of them because they're thought of as this like sort of like money grabbing company, which they are in essence because they're owned by a big corporation. I remember when you sent me the check disc for Toyota 2005 to 2021. Um, and I was watching it and I think it was Monsters Club. I was watching it and then the screen got all fuzzy and there's this crackling noise and it all got well. I was like, oh, fuck, it's gone wrong. <laughs> And I messaged you, and you were like, "No, that's actually supposed to happen. That's like a part of the film." I hope it. I hope it was because, like, no, it I would, was. You it know, was, it was. I know. I know it is. But like, I also at the same time when I received it, I was like, "Well, I fucking hope that it is part of the film because otherwise, you know, it's not easy to 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 fix. Even if you're obviously, um, you know, fixing it at that stage, you still need to re. I mean, the the, the fixing it in terms of the authoring of the disc doesn't isn't really that that expensive or time consuming. But you need to need to then send it to be pressed up and that just to make that checklist there's a lot of is a lot of money that that involved and yeah. um you know for a small company like me and also usually you have a a um a release date set and, and you can't really change the release date so easily so if it's too late in the day and like uh, when you sent that to me i was like oh fucking hell i hope that that, that is a problem with the film and not uh, a problem with the disc and luckily uh it, it was a, a just not a problem with the film but that's just the way the film was it may seem like a small thing to you that you were like, oh, Ben, do you mind if I send you this check disc and you just watch it for me? But for me, I was like, holy fuck, this is like a really big responsibility. <laughs> don't don't screw this up. Like if I miss something and it goes out, and it, do you know what I mean? So I was taking it so seriously. And, Thank uh, you. <laughs> Thank you. Because uh, I, yes, if, if you if you didn't take it seriously and there was an error, then then obviously it's, it's not your fault. Uh, but uh, it, well, it arrow would, should be. Giving me knocking on my door, getting me to do their discs. I don't know what I really don't know. I mean, obviously, I guess you know, like like with that situation, as you said, um, with you you think that it's it's um it's a problem with the disc when it's actually the film. Maybe the people that are watching it think that for some reason, uh, <laughs> maybe that is what the film is supposed to be like, and and you know, uh, that that could that could be it. I mean, uh, maybe you know, 
I mean, I think I remember reading one thing about the arrow that actually that was the film that they originally had, like had a scene that was spliced in the wrong place or something, maybe. So what it was the, the problem of the original film that, that, that they had uh, scanned and, and they are not to think otherwise. This isn't the way that the film should be because that's the way they've received the original film. You know, mm. it's it's hard to know um, what is, is, is done wrong on purpose and what is actually wrong in some cases. But um, yeah, you, you know, Arrow should um, uh, have have should I'm sure they have more people that are looking at this sort of stuff than I than than I am, and uh, they should pick it up. Hmm. All right, we just got a couple more, um, some good ones as well, actually. So Eldritch Waterpark said, "Have you got any more plans to release more animated features similar to the Yujicha or the Animarama set? Also, will we see more Pinku? And do you have any interesting stories about how that connection came to be?" So obviously that's two questions, but in terms of anime, to be honest, I don't really like anime. Um, I've never. I'm one of, I guess, the, the few sort of Westerners that are really that came to Japan that that have no interest in like manga or anime or, or a lot of the things that Japanese Japan is synonymous uh, in terms of the way that it's it's popular overseas. Uh, hmm. I'm, I'm not so, but in terms of those um, the the Yamato Eiji and the Tezuko Samu uh, animes, the uh, anime rama, I part of the like. I like the interest of the cultural aspect to these, the massive names that are involved with these films that just bombed. Uh, you know, I always interested in why why is has this bombed, and obviously that's the concept of of a cult film in essence. You know, um, you know something that that should, by all respects, uh, be more well known, and for some reason it just something happened, and and uh, it 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 isn't, and. Uh, you know, I've always been interested in that. I mean, Stardust Brothers is a perfect example because that should mm. be a major film, and and uh, and it was completely unknown. And uh, so the Anamaria Ramas was that. So Uchida, I don't think you could really say that's animation. Um, I guess the the Gekimation is sort of, and and I'm sure when he, but now he's very big name. So uh, I wonder if I'll be able to afford uh, what he's what he's got out <laughs> next. Uh, to, to be honest, um, he's been doing a TV show, hasn't he? Yeah, this thing, uh, Yokai Sharehouse. So he's been doing the 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 Gekimation part of the TV show. It's not yeah. it's not a Gekimation TV show. Um, and that's been made into a film that's out in Japan next month. Uh, the the Yokai Sharehouse, the movie. And I'm actually uh, interested in in um in, in how what it'll turn out to be. So I'm going to watch it uh, very soon myself. Um, and in terms of the pink films, so those came out because of um uh my connection to Rapid Eye Movies. Um, you know, Stefan Hall, the the owner of Rapid Eye Movies, is somebody that I I respect more than anybody else in the, in the industry. And um, I've, I've always wanted to, to, to help him in anything he does. And, and his first film production was uh, Underwater Love, the um, uh, Christopher Doyle uh, uh, shot um, uh, Imaoko Shinji pink uh, musical um, by mm-hmm. music by Stereo Total. And, and to be honest, I'm not a big fan of pink, pink films at all. And um, I used to, when I was a film student, uh, really like uh, pink films and wakamatsu films as a sort of cultural, I uh, cultural um aspect of, of of being interested in 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 the theory of, of Japanese cinema and how it it evolved and and all the different aspects involved. But I always I'm getting a bit embarrassed um when I watch like a a pink film like if it, if I were in the in like the cinema and like there's some nudity comes on the screen I get a bit nervous and um even. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always really nervous about like uh, any any nudity in, in a film. To be honest, uh, or I remember my my friend uh, uh, Nanami Kawakami, who's uh, 
one of the actresses in Low Life Love and 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 Makeup Room, and she's a uh, actually a porn star in real life and a, and a and a stripper. And she invited me to a strip show, and like I would just looked at the floor the whole time. I just like I I was just I couldn't I couldn't look. I was so nervous <laughs> and embarrassed. And she yelled at me afterwards. She said like. I was, why are you looking at the floor the whole time? And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, you know, I get really embarrassed that sort of stuff. So the pink films is something, you know, just releasing them. It's, I get a bit embarrassed to be honest. Um, but you know, Stefan whole, you know, underwater love was one that I wanted to, to support Stefan. So I, 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 I distributed it in, um, in England and I, I, uh, had lots of, I brought Christopher Doyle over and had lots of events to help with the film's release. And when Stefan told me that he had, um, because he bought a film scanner and he was his goal was he loves pink cinema and he wanted to help remaster all these like like 60s and 70s pink films with this film scanner he had bought but you know he'd have to sell them on the rights on or otherwise he, he it would be he would be losing a lot of money so i was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna help you and i'm gonna buy the rights for, from you for england and distribute them in england uh so and also we will I'll help you split the costs of of anything involved with releasing the films in terms of the uh the, the Blu-ray authoring and the manufacturing and um and making the bonus features and et cetera, et cetera. So um, you know, I, I did that all uh, to help him out because I, I I love him and I love his company and I want to make sure that he's not in any financial difficulty if if, if possible. So uh I did that. So, you know, I, I always say that I put a lot of um uh sort of personal feelings behind a lot of my releases. Um but to be very frank, like the pink films were were, were not so personal for me. Uh, um, you know, I I did them to support Rapid Eye movies, and I know that a lot of people like them. But um, uh, personally, I I do get a bit embarrassed. <laughs> with those. I love that story though. You told me that quite early on in our relationship, and I was like, it it says a lot about you that yeah, you don't just make films to make money or or even the right business sense. Sometimes it's just to support a friend. I thought that was really cool. You said that you might release them all in one big box set or something like that, potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think because the first couple, the the, the first two releases were were quite limited. Um, actually, the third one was also limited. Um, um, they were limited in essence, not because, mainly because the fact that I had made the discs in Germany. Um, usually, I think for the third one, especially like if I do a, a deal with 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 Rapid Eye Movies, um, I'll make the discs in England and ship them to Germany, which means I'll still have all the the discs easily. I can repress them quite easily. But the first couple, I had done them all. He had done them for for me, and and it was a bit more complicated to get them to me and to do everything. So mm-hmm. I, I was like, all right, we we leave them at, at a thousand each. Um, but a lot of people kept on asking when when they were sold out. Uh, uh, you know, we we still want these. So I said, uh, you know, maybe when all of the, th- the the three discs, so so volumes one through six, sell out, then I could put them all together in one box. Um, but uh, you know, like uh, as I mentioned before, with the one cut T-shirts, the love love exposure posters, and the vinyl, people ask me this, and when I do it, nobody's going to buy it. So I'm a bit nervous <laughs> that um, yeah, sure. <laughs> Because that's making those boxes, like you know, the, the Obayashi box and uh, the Toyota. Those boxes are very expensive to make, um, and you need to make like a, a couple thousand of them just to bring the cost to something reasonable. If you only make like a thousand, it get, ends up being like five pounds per per box to make, mm. and uh, you know it's it's and obviously shipping charges go up as well because they're they're heavy and they're they're big. So uh, yeah, it's it's I don't know, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll put it out. I mean. Uh, <laughs> 
but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd also feel a bit um, because the, the the apart from the, the final disc, they don't really have many bonus features on them either. And just like having six films only in a box with nothing else special, like uh, I feel a bit like uh, you know I don't want to like 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 how so many companies re-release the same films like in different boxes, and I, I feel a bit like it's sort of cheating. Um, you know, I'd only want to do it if like if for the customers it was very cheap but i also know that it's not very cheap to release it and uh you know i feel a bit conflicted uh to be honest sure maybe maybe there'll be some more films you could add to it or something i don't know yeah i think uh, but then again people say like oh i have to buy the whole box just to get this one like extra disc that you <laughs> i've already bought the other one so i, I you know it, it's you get that a lot like uh people like even like for example when i did the one the hollywood edition of one cut of the dead that wasn't to like to like screw over people that have bought the last edition it was to like sell the people that hadn't bought an edition at all but then sure. people were saying why do i have to buy another edition of it if i want to see this and i was like well, what do you want me to do like uh you know should i just not release the, like this the, the spin-off film or like like what what should i do like you know and i don't want to it's it's just gets a bit sort of extra stress <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i remember that backlash ah well you can't please everyone mate yes okay one more this is quite a good one. I don't know if you'll be able to answer this one. This is from Adamski. He says, are there any directors that you have an eye on that are due to make a significant jump in impact or recognition? So kind of like how Ryosuke Hamaguchi did last year. He just, you know, boomed into everyone's, everyone's zeitgeist. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder. I mean, there are some uh, directors that are that are... I, there's and I, this is really embarrassing because I've, I've totally forgotten her name. But um, the director of a film called Orphan Blues, Let Me Hear, Hear It Barefoot, um, she's a, a fantastic female director that makes uh, really unique films. That, but those are type of films that would that are on that international film festival scene, but not on that sort of A tier scene like the the um, Hamaguchi's that they got like the Can and all that. So I've just looked her up. It's uh, Rio Kudo. Oh, good or yes. Um uh you know, she's she's a fantastic young young female director that uh, it makes very, very interesting films, but she's only only made two. I mean two that are, are fantastic, but um you know it, I think uh, and um another one actually, um uh, Red Snow, I think it's Sayaka Sayaka K Kai Kai Sayaka, I believe, uh, another female director that that made this uh very interesting film with uh, Nagase Masatoshi called uh, Red Snow, and she's another one that I think a lot of people were, were are, are 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 looking forward to her next film. I think she has a new one out um, relatively soon. Uh, but there are, I I think, uh, you know, it, these are films um, that get go to some film festivals, but they rarely get picked up for for distribution. And you know, unless you reach that really like top A class film festival, which are reached by having usually french companies involved you know as is the case with um hamaguchi and the uh, koji and um even even to an extent the uh, koreeda and kawase like you, you sort of it's hard to sort of break out um from japan otherwise i mean um this uh plan 75 that that's in uh in Cannes right now in in certain regard um another also female director um i think also the name it's uh maybe Hayakawa Chie, maybe, uh, something along those lines. Um, 
but that film's supposed to be very good and she's also um a young female director but also has french uh, french producers involved and <laughs> able to get her in, into Cannes. otherwise yeah i i wonder i mean i've really you know you've caught me at a time that i'm right being the the jury member for for nippon connection vision so i'm watching all these like um very independent uh low budget uh japanese indies and uh when you watch a lot of films they're all quite similar and i wonder if a lot of them can really make that that leap to uh the international stage because i think a lot of the international stage films of the past few years have uh, a little more genre elements to them you know like mm. the one the dead type things and uh in that respect there's not so much uh in japan that i can see or that i really have my eye on um but but um fair enough we'll, we'll i'm see. still keeping an eye on your list of your top 10 of last year and trying to find all those films but uh, there's still nowhere to be found i don't even know so what i put on that list <laughs> fair <laughs> enough uh, uh yeah uh, you know that's it yeah you know a lot of these films that i see you know they just don't get out there i mean and like i said going back to the point of ken and Kazu, like if if distributors don't take them and i think it's really important the japanese companies and sales agents understand that for the future of that director if you want that director's next film to become easier to sell and get into film festivals you have to be more reasonable in the way that you allow distributors to take on the film for for less money yeah, you know sure. even for example with with it's a summer film that i tried to acquire you know it's a very small film and the distributor was just like a the sales agent in japan was just a pain in the ass to work with and it's like well all right you know then then this director is gonna gonna disappear and that film's gonna disappear and um you have to think in the mind of a distributor and i guess they obviously don't know what it's like uh overseas and and they're stuck in this mindset from the past but uh it, yeah it, it's killing um japanese cinema unfortunately let's go a bit more upbeat for this last question <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. You're, you're, you're in control um, yeah. This is a very good way to end it, actually, and it's from a good friend of the show. It's uh, Jonathan Root. Um, he said, you know, in honour of the upcoming uh, Summertime Machine Blues, what are your favourite time travel films? And that's a question for both of us. Um, and the obvious answer would be that, you know, you have to talk about um, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes because it did something genuinely different with the concept, which I really enjoyed. But I was thinking about my answer, and obviously you've got all the Back to the Future and um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Venture and all of that. But I think the one film that had time travel in it that I, I've just loved the most over the years and still do to this day is um, uh, Sam Raimi's Army of the Dead, the third Evil Dead film. Ah, uh, for sure. Where he goes back to medieval times and... The Necronomicon, <laughs> it's like the, the the skeleton army, and it's just fucking brilliant that film. And uh, yeah, I think that would be my answer. I wish I had looked up the question before and reminded myself what films that I like that feature time travel because, yeah, like sure. every time I'm, yeah, <laughs> my, you 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 had had the, uh, the the advantage of of having the questions ahead of time and. Uh, Yes, you thought of a very good answer, and uh, maybe I should steal your answer as well because I love that film. But uh, I think yes, uh, I I don't know. I, I I mean yeah, Summertime Machine Blues. Uh, I mean also you know I'm thinking of this in, in sort of an Asian film perspective, and um, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, I'm just gonna 
Blues because it's the only thing that's in my head right now. I mean, I've just Googled time travel films and half of them I've not even seen. Or like they don't, how is it time travel? One of them says Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, Terminator Dark Fate. <laughs> uh, oh, Mirai. Mm. The, um, uh, oh, bloody hell, what they, what's their name? Um, what are you talking about? Uh, Mamoru Hosoda's Mirai. Um, about ah, the, the, the animation? Yes. That's a fantastic film. But I'm not wanting to animate. I've just took up um, time travel movies Asia. I, I, I know I think uh, it's not a good idea to um, search for things while you're trying to speak on a, on a podcast because you get a bit of dead air and, and, uh, and chaos. But uh, Ret- Returner came up and, and I really remember loving that film. But uh, mm. I haven't, I was talking to like, um, I think the rights holder about like re-releasing it. But I remember loving that film when I first saw it, uh, obviously, um, about 20 years ago now. And uh, I wonder if it does hold up. Uh, I remember it being great. Did you ever see that film, Returner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time ago. But yeah, I love that film. I love, I remember loving that film, but uh, you never know. Uh, it might not be as good um, as it is now. Samurai Fiction was that was a sort of, oh, it wasn't time travel, but it was it? No. I mean, oh. I know you hate anime, but just when I saw Mirai then, it just triggered my brain. And um, of course, Makoto Shinkai is your name as well. Did you ever watch that one? That was I, that, oh, amazing. I, I did, but I remember because that was such a huge film in Japan. Obviously, it was a film, big film everywhere. And yeah. I remember, right? I, I saw it. I didn't like watching anime. I, as, I, as I said, I don't really like watching anime. And I think I, I went on a date uh, with, with somebody and I thought, oh, maybe that would be a good date film. And also, I can see what everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit disappointed. Um, no, it was, uh, <laughs> I was just like, ah, oh, this is like, uh, yeah, like a Japanese weepy. Uh, Radwimp's bullshit soundtrack. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, what the fuck is this? Why is everybody so so liking this film so much? And then at the same time, it was uh, there was another film. Um, uh, in in this corner of the world, is that yeah it? yeah 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 yeah. And that was also a, a slightly lesser, but also quite big hit at the time. And I saw that right after uh, the same week that I'd seen your name, and I liked that a lot. Um, and okay. I thought this, this. I mean, that ended up obviously also being a big um a big hit uh uh mainly because of the actress not non doing the voice but but your name was also a big hit because of radwimps um because they're such a big big band in japan but uh yeah i, I was uh I mean, I well, that so that much. that film has such a special place in my heart because we had a basically i was just talking to a bunch of film fans on twitter and we kind of all decided let's all meet up and go see a film together um, so after talking to each other for months, we all met up and um, your name was the first film we ever saw. And we all walked out of it just going like, that was just amazing on so many levels. I thought it was really funny. It was so sweet. And I love that soundtrack. I know exactly why you yeah, hate Ramwins. <laughs> I, I completely understand it. And I haven't liked any of their albums since, including uh, the follow-up film, um, Weathering With You. But that actual your name one was just brilliant i thought and yeah i love it Fucking anyway <laughs> anyway yeah we've we've gone uh, a bit long uh i think when, <laughs> when we when we literally mailed we're like let's give this a nice uh one hour celebration and it's uh it's 
gone back into uh, the usual 90 plus minutes. I enjoy it, mate. I love it so much. (laughs) There's so much shit going on in my life outside of films. And I love this when I can just sit down and chat and uh, talk film. Um, But yeah, so thank you for that. It was really fun. Um, Thank you for your questions, everyone who reached out on Twitter. That was awesome. I'll try and give you more notice next time so we don't just have 60 minutes to get as many questions (laughs) as possible. Um, So yeah, Jonathan Root at the end there talking about Summertime Machine Blues, though. Is that that's your next release? Is it next month? It is, uh, and uh, next month, not next month, uh, July, July fourth oh, is, is the release. Um, uh, I think it was initially in June, and then it well, moved to July, and uh, I moved because of uh, Suicide Club issues, I think. But um, yeah, a very summer summer film, perfect film for summer is um, Summertime Machine Blues on, on July fourth. Amazing. Uh, great. Well, unless you have anything else you want to talk about, you sign off. Just at the yes, I, I've got a, a competition out uh, for the 15th year anniversary with 15 winners uh, picked, uh, five each on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, and uh, if it's pinned to the uh, top of um, of Facebook and Twitter and and uh, relatively at the front of Instagram. So if people uh, want the chance to enter uh, a, a chance to win a, a Blu-ray or DVD, um, yes, just uh, please enter that competition. It's uh, until until May the 30th. Nice. Well, I'll put all the links in our description for this episode so you can find all those posts there. And yeah, if you're not following Adam yet, you can get him on Twitter as at Third Window um, and on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and everywhere else is at Third Window Films. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Letterbox as at BenjiBox. That's BenjiBox spelt with a Y. But yeah, thanks again. I mean, You've been doing this for 15 years. I've been doing this podcast with you for, well, coming up to almost a year now. And uh, in October, I think is, it will be our actual anniversary. But uh, yes, yeah. not, not coming. It's still quite a way off, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a while. It's coming up. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, and, uh, it, it will be October at some point, but uh, it's, it's, still, it's still a few months off, to be honest. <laughs> But yeah, it's I've, I'm I'm enjoying every second of it, and um, I hope you're still doing this in 15 years' time. Well, we are, uh, let's just hope for for next. We'll focus on on this year for now. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we will catch you next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up. By the third window from the right The third window from the right Two flights up That's the one with the shade pulled down That's the